Hey, y'all. Did you miss us at Flesh and Bowl? <laughs> I know y'all did, but we missed you too. But we were out living our best lives. Well, a lot has happened this summer, at least for me. What about you, Nevin? What did you get into this summer? Yeah. Um, you know, I did a lot of working, which I didn't want to do. I thought I was just going to have a free and relaxed summer, but I was traveling for work, went to Seattle, did some DEI consulting with folks in construction. Shout out, but they need the work too, you know? So yeah, I had a good one. What about you? You know, I was living my best life having a hot, hot, hot girl summer. I traveled to Mexico with my friends, laying out on the beach, getting some sun, and then got to meet some pretty cool um, people that work in government for my for my job. So it's been really, really nice. Oh my gosh, that's lit. I'm so jelly out there uh, ruling the world one vacation at a time. <laughs> but yeah, what do you think we should kick off the year talking about? Well, I don't know. So much has happened. Mm, indeed. So, review? Well, I don't mind if I do. Can I start? Absolutely. <laughs> go go for it. Well, so you know I love the kids, and I was so pumped to know that after two years of desire and anticipation for the COVID-19 vaccines for kids under five, it finally came true. We're finally in Disneyland here. We got the vaccine. So in mid-June of this summer, the CDC announced vaccines for children from six months to five years old, either using Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. This was highly, highly anticipated. And for many parents though, it was frankly a little too late. So roughly 70% of older kids ages 12 to 17 had at least one dose of the vaccine and 60% were fully vaccinated against COVID-19. But when it came for, to younger kids, parents of kids under five years old, even though they were waiting and waiting and waiting for this vaccine, they began to be a little bit more hesitant and started to wonder about the safety, efficacy, and most of all, the necessity of the vaccine. They were like, I'm not sure if I really want to give this to my kid. I know that I've been waiting forever for this, but now, mm, I don't know. So this has translated into only about 7% of kids under five getting the vaccine. Again, kids like over 12, about 70% of them have at least one shot. Mm. And our smallest kids are like 7% vaccinated. So we're not really sure what this means for future infections and immunity and the spread for our youngest children. And as the pandemic continues to unfold and rage on, so it's been, you know, up, up in the air. Wow, that's wild. Would you have any, I guess, advice or, or how do you think we can help to increase those numbers? Yeah, you know, I think it's all about timing, right? So the pandemic started, the numbers started to go down and Omicron um, was seen as like a less severe variant. And so parents were not as pressed really to the, get the vaccine. But if it was my baby, let me just tell you right <laughs> now, mama got to work, mama got stuff to do. I don't That's need right. to be staying at home with a sick baby. Um, so I would I would have gotten a vaccine if my kid was under five, for sure. What about you? I know you don't have kids yet, mm -hmm. but how do you, like, stratify your risk and the risk of little ones? Listen, baby, 
uh, <laughs> put it in me. <laughs> I mean, I'm over here. Yes, I I believe in science. I believe in medical professionals. I see how much damn studying you be doing and you had to do. I put my faith in y'all. Complete faith. So if the CDC, y'all doctors, medical professionals say, uh, get the shot. I'm getting the shot, baby. If they say my baby needs the shot, my baby getting the shot. <laughs> Can I get you on a PSA? <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah oh my gosh wow you know i heard uh something someone say we're going into our like third winter with a covid wow. and that's so wild to me i think about like like just the longevity of that and uh and, and it's wild so i hope everyone does what they need to do to stay safe um and protect themselves and you know the idea of protecting yourself again especially against danger and violence makes me think about conversations loose connection but to gun violence mm. and, and and gun law so uh on uh i i want to talk to our listeners kind of a little bit about some gun legislation that has been happening uh over the summer so two months after around two months after the mass shooting in uh, buffalo new york supermarket and one month after a mass shooting at the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, um, came the final passage of a gun law that uh, was by a bipartisan group of lawmakers. So uh, the gun law was a compromise, um, especially, and it's noted though, to be the potentially most significant federal gun safety measure in decades, in decades. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it included. So uh, first and foremost, they threw um, a lot of money at it, and it needs to be there. Uh, $750 million uh, were to help states implement and run crisis intervention programs. Uh, they closed um, the so-called uh, bo boyfriend loophole, which basically... Um, makes makes it so that um, anyone who is convicted of a domestic violence crime against someone that they have a continuing serious relationship uh, of a romantic or intimate nature, uh, it, it stops them from having a gun. Um, so that was something that changed. Uh, it also will require more gun sellers to register as federally licensed firearm dealers. They were kind of flying under the radar, which allowed them to sell guns without um, kind of uh, having any registration or documentation of it. Um, there are going to be more thorough reviews of people between the ages of 18 and 21 who want to buy guns. Um, uh, federal statutes are going to start cracking down on gun trafficking and straw trafficking laws. And then also, the thing I care about a lot is increasing funding for mental health programs and also um, school security. But I say that school security with a little bit of an asterisk as we've seen uh, some states really uh, promote some wild things such as arming teachers and things around that. So it'll be interesting to see how it 
pans out. But you know, some folks, uh, and I'm one of them, say that uh, the law doesn't do enough. Uh, even the president, uh, Biden, acknowledged that the legislation fell short of the sweeping measures that he had really hoped for, uh, but it still included some uh, long sought priorities. Um, so, but some of the things it doesn't include are universal background checks and a ban on assault weapons and high capacity magazines. So like, what does this mean? Like, how do you feel like this legislation may help or set us further back? Like, what do you think? Yeah, I think really time will tell. I think, you know, when it comes to the Second Amendment, some folks really, they like their guns, you know. <laughs> um, and I say that in a kind of country accent, but like a lot of folks do. So it'll be interesting to see where maybe some more compromise and common ground can happen, because I think there's definitely a potential. I just hate that there would maybe have to be another mass shooting uh, for folks to really feel like um, our legislators to really actually uh, come together to make the change. I feel like there's been so many mass shootings. It's like, how many does it actually really take? And, you know, I think after Uvalde, there was hope with this legislation that there would be finally something done. Like maybe this was the straw that broke the camel's back. I guess we'll see. I mean, I think some of the things are basic, like a universal background check, like, come on, like, why can't we get some of like, don't you want to make sure that the people that you're selling guns to are at least can clear that very um, small hurdle? Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm baffled at our inability or unwillingness rather to actually enforce and pass some meaningful gun legislation. Mm. But this is a step, I guess. I, I hear the hesitance in your voice and I feel you. I feel like personally, um, you know, uh, from the, just the mass shootings that I've been around since my lifetime, I think I personally have become desensitized to it to a point where I'm sad that other folks might have become desensitized and it feels like like I'm not going to hold my breath uh, when it comes to America and gun laws and those yeah, really and I mean it just even the you know obviously as a pediatrician I, I care for the babies I care for everybody mm. but you know growing up and I'm going to date myself but with like Columbine mm-hmm. and then Sandy Hook and all of the many shootings at schools yeah. specifically right like what does it take? what will it take and the fact that currently schools do active shooter drills mm-hmm. right like i remember being little and being happy to go outside for the fire drills like oh yeah. this is a fire drill how much fun we get to miss class but active shooter drills yeah. is what kids are practicing now. Yeah. like when will it stop yeah i i feel you i remember doing tornado drills and putting the biggest book you can find on the back of your uh, neck for to protect your spinal cord but i also I was in high school during the time we started practicing active shooter drills, Mm. you know? So like, and I think that also creates a certain desensitization around it. Um, And so they're telling kids how to try to protect themselves, trying to get teachers as if it's their responsibility to uh, save kids or step in the way of of bullets for Mm. children. They're doing everything, but it seems like policy change. (laughs) So, but hopefully as, as we said, this is a step. Right. America's good at that though, right? Like band-aids. We're not going to fix the actual problem. We'll put a band-aid on it. Yes. Speaking of band-aids and health, 
Uh, let's talk about the latest biomedical disaster plaguing society right now. Which is? Uh, monkeypox. Oh my goodness. Yes. Uh, so monkeypox is a virus that's similar to smallpox, but with symptoms that are less severe and um, has in the, the past been primarily found in parts of Central and West Africa. But uh, in July, on July 23rd, uh, the World Health Organization actually declared monkeypox to be a, quote, public health emergency of international concern. Um, this was the second time in two years that step has been taken uh, by the World Health Organization. The United States itself didn't declare monkeypox a national health emergency until August 4th, so more recently, right? And so in its, the current outbreak, the U.S. has the world's largest number of monkeypox cases. I'm going to give listeners time to guess that number. All right, I'm sure that's enough time for them. Well, if you guessed 15,000, eh, it's actually higher. We have the highest... Uh, case number at uh, around 20,000. It's 19,962, and the virus is spreading. And actually, of those cases, more than 99%, I'm going to repeat that, more than more than 99% of people who have contracted monkeypox um, have been men who have sex with men. Um, so we've seen kind of similar outbreaks, and so uh, public health officials have talked about how they've tried not to further stigmatize gay folks um, and queer folks as they have uh, in the past with other um, kind of uh, viruses such as HIV, um, and specifically referring to the AIDS epidemic. Um, but they've also been in a tricky spot where they don't want to downplay the risk. I think all that is interesting because the T is, girl, uh, uh, there were nine confirmed cases in the U.S. back in May 26, and all those cases, it was men who have sex with men. In May? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So part of this always is like, to me, like, did y'all know? Did y'all not really care because of who the population was, right? So that's always, I'm always like side-eyeing. So, and our listeners might have heard about reports out in Texas that it's possible that the first person in the U.S. might have died from monkeypox, but I don't want to cause hysteria and I want to give some other details around that case. And that, yes, uh, uh, a person, an adult that was diagnosed with monkeypox did die. Uh, that individual had severe, a severely compromised immune system and uh, health officials are still investigating the role that monkeypox played in that person's death. Uh, but in general, monkeypox is not seen to be life-threatening. Uh, but even with that, you know, uh, as the months has gone, uh, there has been a change in tone around public health officials that think that uh, there have been signs that the rate of um, infection has been slowing, which is great. But uh, they haven't come in out and said that officially because and here's some more tea. It's a it's a lot of uh, gay shit that's finna happen, <laughs> and they don't know. If, if, if the girls are going to be out there wilding. So we got, uh, of course, Labor Day weekend, Southern Decadence, Atlanta Black Pride, hey. Atlanta Pride, Pride Press in Oakland. And so uh, 
So, right, it's always on our people to protect ourselves because the government and folks have been really late to do it. So please engage in any harm reduction techniques that you need to. If you want ideas, there were some online surveys around gay bisexual and other men who have sex with men that they reported that uh, due to the monkeypox outbreak, they were reducing their uh, number of sexual partners. Uh, they had decreased um, their one-time sexual encounters by 50% and increased like random hookups that were off dating apps by 50%. So uh, it seems like the community is already engaging in some uh, like just reduction of risks things. And so I just want to cautious the good people out there to continue to um, do, you know, what they need to do to protect themselves. And what would you say, Nev, like as a person who has done research in communities that, you know, are really stigmatized by certain conditions that they have, mm. or people that they love or people that they sleep with or whatever, how, like, what advice would you have given or would you currently give to the public health officials to not like box, you know, like stigmatize men that have sex with men about monkeypox? Like, how would you have approached it? How would you have thought about it? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think, you know, what's wild and, and, and doing the background and research for this is like just how how much men who have sex, how much men especially are impacted. Like when you look at the charts mm-hmm. and they show like this color is men, this color is women, this color is trans women and non-binary folks. Mm-hmm. It is all the chart is men like you don't even see the other folks right and so to me that really gives the message that at some point right if you want to destigmatize and make this uh more about behavior than sex that's one way we can do it by referring uh, men who have sex with men but also just uh um, sharing that message with men and and all men like hey this is uh, uh what you need to do but i think one thing that uh, which I love about our community, the innovation <laughs> is what they're doing. They're they're reaching that people where they need to be reached, right? Uh, because one of the things I think is like access. And so there's been a number of pop-ups, like for example, in Chicago itself, uh, one of the pop-ups to get vaccinated at, at, as a site has been a bathhouse. So where people are getting getting down, right? So they know like, hey. And- so people get down at bathhouses? We need to do an episode on I mean, we do. Girl, <laughs> girl, the ones I know about, they do. Uh, period. Yeah. And so I think it's kind of innovative things like that, meaning people, but also if you have like this um, entity in itself that's known for sex that is saying, hey, we're going to be uh, uh, also uh, promote these kind of harm reduction and healthy measures. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of I think puts it at the forefront, like, hey, yeah, maybe I should look into this. And they're going to things such as like um, our pride or market days, and they're showing up there, which I think is important. You know, I don't, I'm not a huge sports person, Mm. but I do know that I don't want to try to travel to Russia with any sort of contraband. I know that's, that's right. I know that's right. You know, we did a lot of traveling this summer, and I was so sad to hear about Brittany Griner. Um, I want to talk about her because, um, unfortunately, I'm going to admit that I hadn't really heard about her until this whole situation with Russia and her court case came up. So if you don't know, 
Brittany O'Griner is a celebrated all-star WNBA player who joined the Phoenix Mercury in 2014. I mean, like, star, star. So USA's 2016 gold team in Rio, defensive player of the year for two years in 2014 and 2015. But in February, Brittany Greiner was arrested for bringing cannabis into Russia. Specifically, she was detained at the airport when Russian Federal Customs Services found that she had vape cartridges that had hashish oil in her luggage. And so even though they found those, later it came out that there was concern that the examination of those cartridges actually did not comply with the norms of the Russian criminal code. So that's like, I'm not sure what was going on there, um, but it looks like they confiscated, they found it, and she has been detained uh, in Russia since that time. And just if you're wondering, like, what is her connection to Russia at all? Greiner played in Russia during her off seasons from the WNBA with the Phoenix uh, Mercury. So she had spent considerable time there before. So, but in August, Greiner was sentenced to nine years in prison and about $16,700 in U.S. dollars, not um, in Russian money, but about $16,000 that she would have to pay in addition to nine years in prison. So a lot of people have been calling for her release, including her team, uh, the WNBA, the NBA, and also President Biden. Biden called for her release immediately. But many spectators have thought that she was actually being used to get U.S. government attention as a political pawn, like trying to somehow like make an example of her so that they could get the U.S government's attention. Uh, there are hopes that um, both governments were going to cooperate and work on a prisoner swap. What I found was like super interesting about this is that Russia wants to bring home, okay, so Brittany is, is, has been convicted of sub bringing some marijuana, right? Some like junk. This is who Russia wants to swap for. A convicted arms dealer mm. named Victor Bout, aka the merchant of death. Mm. That is who they are asking for in in exchange for Britney, who mm. just had some hashish oil mm. in a vape cartridge. Mm. Make that make sense for me. Mm. So he is like supposed to serve 25 year sentence here because he was found in Thailand and then was extradited to the US because again, merchant of death. She had a little bit of oil in a vape cartridge and she is supposed to spend nine years of her life mm in Russia in a, in a prison, leaving her wife, leaving her family back here in the US. It's just, it's unreal. Like I, 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 have, I have no words for this. And I'm not one who thinks that, you know, celebrities should have like some golden paved path and don't need to follow the rules and don't, you know, need to be held to the same, same standards. But nine years in a Russia, does she speak Russian number one? Nine years in a Russian prison for some hashish oil? Are you serious? So like I'm I'm beyond. I think it's I think it's awful. And then they want to switch. They want to exchange her sentence for the Merchant of Death. Just doesn't even make sense <laughs> to me. That's wild. Um, you know, um, Brittany Griner uh, is one of my favorite basketball players of all time. Stop. I remember her in high school and uh, for. Um, uh, before she even went to Baylor to play college uh, basketball because she was on the cover of like a slam basketball magazine oh. and because she was dunking in high school and she was dominating. Yes. yes. And and when I found out she's queer and yes. her wife is over here, right, pleading, I was like, 
gosh, uh, black women, queer black women cannot win. And so there were conversations I know around um, by like, uh, I think Jamel Hill, that was like, you know, if this would bring an attention to what's going on, because like, if this was LeBron, if this was Anthony Davis, if this was Steph, would that person still be over here? And and even if they would still be over there, it's like, what more attention would they have yeah. uh, than what, unfortunately, what Brittany Griner um, has had? So it's 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 definitely a sad and sore spot for me. So I, I get that kind of being speechless around that. Yeah, and here's the other thing. Again, I'm not a huge sports person, so I don't want to speak out of turn. But how many of those players you mentioned, Steph, LeBron, and so and so, have to play? at another country mm-hmm. in an off season. And I imagine she's not just doing it for fun. Like mm-hmm. she's probably trying to make some additional money. Correct. Mm-hmm. Like, so a, a player of this caliber, not again, that it, it fixes or excuses Russia's behavior mm-hmm. or their criminal law or any of that. Yeah. But the fact that she is a WNBA all-star mm. and has to play has a second job mm. in another country because her own country doesn't pay her enough. Mm. Crazy. It, it's Why? Where did, does Steph have another job in mm, Russia where not, he works at? Not, not that I know of. Okay. It's smelling like sexism. To I'm, just, me. I'm just checking. The hierarchy is at it again. Girl. It's at it again. I know, I know we're running out of time and we don't have time for real to talk about Biden student loans, but I'm just, I want to say a word about the Biden student loans. Go ahead, go for okay. it. Okay. I it was so excited that there was going to be some plan. Mm. That was unfolding, mm. right? Mm. Um, Biden's cancel student loans. Biden, how how often have we made that refrain in this podcast? Cancel loads, Joe Byron. We have we have asked multiple, multiple, multiple times. Correct. So when there was going to be an announcement that cometh forth, <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat, yes. waiting for this. Mm-hmm. You know. Wow. And what happened? What happened? I'm 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 asking him myself what happened. Let me tell you something right now. <laughs> not enough. Not that that part. Not enough. Not enough. I know we don't have enough time in this world, but listen, Byron, I was a Pell grantee, <laughs> and I need the money. Okay, I need the money. I've heard a lot of controversy about you know the amount. Mm-hmm. Number one the stipulations mm-hmm. and then also from the other side well what about people that save for college and they don't get the the loan repayment what about them what <laughs> that's what i say what about them what about what, what why can't they be having for me <laughs> what about that <laughs> that's what i say i mean i just i'm i'm happy there's something but honestly i don't think it's going to be enough to Meaning, meaningfully make a dent in it. Maybe we can save that for another episode. Yeah, uh, let's save it for the next one because I hear time is ticking. Because, yeah, I, I got questions because I heard it was going to be like 50 Gs, especially <laughs> for folks of color because let's try to be ec- equitable. Where the hell all that go? Yeah, we're going to have to follow up on this. We're going to have to do some research. I mean, along with that, there are many, many other things that happened over the summer that we didn't talk about, right? So... Yeah, like I, I know we did a whole podcast on Roe v. Wade possibly getting overturned, but it actually happened. I, I mean, I, I know we thought it was gonna. We we weren't sure. We were hopeful that it wasn't. 
but now that we're here in the state of this country, it is crazy. I mean, I've definitely heard of some employers paying for their employees to go out of states to get abortions if they need to, and people trying to be creative around supporting um, women's choices and women's bodies. But God darn, what is happening in the world? What are we going to do? And what about, you know, also one of your faves, uh, Tennis Queen? (laughs) Don't, I'm not ready to go there. Serena. (laughs) Too soon? The GOAT. I don't even want to think about it. What she's meant to me, what she's meant to little black girls everywhere, anyone pursuing a sport, what she's dismantling white supremacy. I'm not, I'm not ready to think about it. She will always be my goat. Uh, what a time to be alive to get to experience and witness Serena at work, I, I guess. I'll, I, will, I will leave it there, hopefully. <laughs> and on the science front, hopefully we'll learn more about this. But um, in early August, some Yale scientists actually were able to revive cells in an animal that had died an hour before. So I don't know what this means for for life and maybe bringing people back from the dead. Who knows what that mm. looks like? But, you know, that happened this summer too. Mm, baby, it's giving zombie. <laughs> it's giving <laughs> night of the living dead, baby. Yeah. You don't want to live forever? Uh, I mean, I do. Hopefully my conscience and my body keep up. Yeah, so much has happened. I can think of Elon trying to buy Twitter, saying that he was going to... I can think of the, you know, the picture that we got from outer space. I'm waiting for the aliens to come rescue me and pick me up because Earth in the U.S. is Did real. Did you see that Peel movie? I don't know if the aliens want to rescue you. Oh, my gosh. I haven't seen it. It, it was on my summer to-do list. I told you I was working. Oh, oh my gosh. Anyway, um, well, there was a lot to cover over summer. I hope folks... Uh, do their summer reading, and if not, catch up, and hopefully this podcast episode was a start for them to kind of see what they missed. Yeah, because class is back in session. Flesh and Bold is back, baby. We're back. So catch up. Yeah, and as always, 